Nehemiah, I do want to say that God's word is holy and infallible, is sharper than any two-edged sword. It is the only authority by which we are to believe and what we are to understand about who God is, who we are, and it is God's holy word that is to mold and make us. And in honor of God's holy word, let's stand together as we prepare to read together Nehemiah. Let's stand together and read Nehemiah. To give honor to God's word, we stand. And we'll start reading together at Nehemiah 6.15. Nehemiah 6.15. Again, this is God's holy and infallible word. So the wall was completed on the 25th of the month Elul in 52 days. When all our enemies heard of it, And all the nations surrounding us saw it. They lost their confidence, for they recognized that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Also, in those days, many letters went from the nobles of Judah to Tobiah, and Tobiah's letters came to them. For many in Judah were bound by oath to him because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Ara, and his son uh, Jehana, Jehana um, had married his daughter Meshulam, the son of Berechiah. Moreover, they were speaking about his good deeds in my presence and reported my words to him. Then Tobias sent letters to frighten me. Now when the wall was rebuilt and I had set up the doors and the gatekeepers and singers and Levites were appointed, then I put Hanani, my brother, and Hananiah, the commander of the fortress, in charge of Jerusalem, for he was a faithful man and feared God more than many. Then I said to them, Do not let the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun is hot. And when they were standing guard, they shut and bolt the doors. Also appoint guards from the inhabitants of Jerusalem, each at his post and each in front of his own house. Now the city was large and spacious, but the people in it were few, and the houses were not built. Let's pray. Our beloved Lord, help us, we pray, to understand this, your word, to apply it to our lives, to mold and make us by your holy word, for we ask these things in the name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. The Jews in... Jerusalem at this time in history had a great deal to be thankful for. God's hand of good favor was upon Nehemiah. He was given favor before one of the most mighty men in the known world at the time, King Artaxerxes. He was not just king, you could say he was the emperor of the entire empire of Persia. And Nehemiah was the cupbearer of this man. But he prayed to the Lord, he fasted when he found out news of the, the demise of the walls and the, the gates there in Jerusalem. He found news from his countrymen living back in Jerusalem that the gates were burned with fire and the walls were broken down. They were in disrepair and the people lacked safety and they were being reproached by their enemies. So therefore he He sought favor before the king. God gave him favor. He was granted leave to return uh, to his homeland, not just to serve as a rebuilder of the wall, but he was given, I believe, uh, employment 
as a governor for 12 years. The scripture says that he was there for 12 years. And uh, he not only helped rebuild the wall, he helped with some of the problems they had in society, such as usury and abuse of others and people being unjustly put into slavery and having people's lands and farmlands and houses being taken because of usury. And he corrected all that and was serving as a godly governor. Um, God granted the Jews success in rebuilding the wall. As we read earlier, um, they had rebuilt the wall by this time here. But they did so even though they were given opposition by those outside the, the city walls and those inside the city walls. People were mocking them. In uh, chapter 4, verse 11, some were giving them death threats. It says in uh, Nehemiah 4:11, Our enemies said, They will not know or see until we come among them, kill them, and put a stop to the work. Sanballat, the Horonite, he sought to arrange a private meeting with Nehemiah five times by letter. And it wasn't, he said his claim was that he wanted to counsel together with Nehemiah. But in fact, Nehemiah was aware of his intention, was likely to put a, a, a knife in his back and assassinate him. So Nehemiah was able to see past that. And um, other problems happened where they were even um, arranging uh, to pay false prophets to trip up Nehemiah as well. And God gave Nehemiah wisdom to avoid all of these traps. Again, we'll be looking at Nehemiah 6.15. If you notice here in Nehemiah 6.15, it says that the walls were rebuilt in 52 days. 52 days. No doubt a morale builder for the Jews, but it also says that it did something in the opposite for the Gentile neighbors who were the enemies. Look at uh, Nehemiah 6. 16, when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations surrounding us saw it, they lost their confidence and they recognized that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Now, the reason that the wall was rebuilt in 52 days is because the wall was not completely torn down entirely one stone from another. The wall had breaches or gaps that had to be repaired, and that's why it was able to be repaired in 52 days, but it was an outstanding feat that they understood that God's hand had to be upon the people to accomplish it. Nehemiah 7.1 says even the doors, the new doors with fresh timber were hung. As we look at today's text, we'll see that God commands you to fear him and stand guard. God commands you to fear him and stand guard, and we'll see this in two main points. Jerusalem's needs... And the charge to guard. Let's look at this first main point, Jerusalem's need. Okay, you had a a wall that was built, it was fully complete. New gates were mounted, were put on. But look at the problem of this need there in Jerusalem, verse 4. The city was large and spacious, but the people in it were few, and the houses were not built. Again, some were no doubt praising God, exalting God's holy name, glorifying God in praise because God allowed them to rebuild the walls. And but at the same time, their enemies surrounding them 
were aware that it was by the help of God. And they were aware that their rebuilding the walls was by the help of God. However, the temptation could have been, well, look, we got all these defenses. We got these walls built. We got the doors up. We got the gates, solid, nice, stout, solid gates. Now we could just take, we could, we could be at peace and at ease. Oh, that's not what Nehemiah thought. Nehemiah knew better. He recorded here in verse 4, The city was large and spacious, but the people in it were few, and the houses were not built. In other words, Nehemiah was very concerned that there was a lot of wall and not a lot of people to stand and to guard, stand guard on that wall. A lot of wall, but not many people to guard it. I think we could relate to this as a, as a smaller church, can't we? Um, there's a, a lot of service needs sometimes, and there's, there's not enough people to carry it out. We have to be thankful to God for this beautiful property, and I would say a beautiful, spacious property. It's large and spacious, but the people in it are kind of few, aren't they? Now, some people I've heard before say, well, I feel more comfortable in a small church. Maybe that's why you're attracted to worship with us. Oh, I'm, I'm more comfortable in a small church. After all, I don't like large crowds. I get anxious in a, in a large crowd. But each of our heart's desires should be to see this church grow. Just like Nehemiah had a heart's desire to see more people on that wall standing guard, so should we desire to have more people in the, in the uh, church to worship the Lord of glory, the King of heaven. I'm sure I, I, I agree. I'm, I'm sure I'm in agreement with the elders and agreement with the deacons that we all would like uh, more members. I would like more members. I'm sure our children would like more children to play with, wouldn't they? They would like more children to worship with. Our teenagers and young adults would like more peers as well, wouldn't they? I would love to have more people in the, in, the, uh, in the worship to join in the singing. More hands to help with the, the deacons, who, to help them with, the, with their labors. And I believe one of the main reasons why we should want more members ultimately is because we want more people in this community to come to an awareness of eternal life through Jesus Christ. That's the ultimate reason why we would want more people in the church is because we want more people to come to a saving knowledge of who Jesus is and how they may be spared of the wrath to come. True Christians should want others to join with them in their eternal dwelling. And we should want uh, them to be spared that torment of rejecting the Holy Gospel Yes, it says in our text that the surrounding enemies, the surrounding Gentiles, they lost their confidence when they saw that the wall was rebuilt. Many of them were discouraged. Oh, man, look, God is with these Jews. What, what can we do to oppose them? But notice in the text, there were still some who opposed them. The very last verse of chapter 6, Tobiah continued to send letters to seek to frighten Nehemiah. He was persistent in being a, an evil, wicked knucklehead. Uh, many of the people surrounding them sought to continue to do them harm. This man, Tobiah, that he was an Ammonite. 
He was actually married to one of the Jewish daughters, the daughter of Shechaniah, the son of Aaron. And this is something that was an intermarriage among pagans that was forbidden. Now, before we turn there, we'll, we'll look soon at Deuteronomy 7. People might say, well, what about Ruth? She was a Moabitess. How did she marry a, a Jewish man? And why was it commended in the book of Ruth? Well, she no longer continued to hold to the religion of the Moabites. She held to the God of Naomi and embraced the God of Israel. That's why she was, she was someone who was commended in marrying into the Jewish faith. But here, this is not the case of this wicked Tobiah. Let's turn to uh, Deuteronomy 7. Deuteronomy 7. It says here, When the Lord your God brings you into the land where you are entering to possess it and clears away many nations before you, the Hittites and the Girgashites and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Perizzites and the Hittites and the Jebusites, seven nations greater and stronger than you. And when the Lord your God delivers them before you, defeat them, and then you utterly destroy them, you shall, not make, you shall make no covenant with them and show no favor to them. Furthermore, you shall not intermarry with them. You shall not give your daughters to their sons, nor shall you take their daughters for your sons. For they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and he will quickly destroy you. Okay, they, the Jews did not heed this warning in times past and fell into wickedness and sin, such a, again was the case of Solomon. He married many uh, Gentile women who turned his heart away from the Lord. But God then brought the people into captivity. And after a very long period of horrendous captivity, God granted them to return to the promised land. But what did they do? Some of them give their daughters to marry the pagans to start the cycle all over again. Um, in verse uh, 2 of this Deuteronomy 7, it says, You shall make no covenant with them and show no favor to them. Now, some of these treasonous um, members, uh, nobles of Judah, they were bound by an oath. They were bound by a covenant with Tobiah the Horonite, um, actually Tobiah the Ammonite, and they were allowed to have him marry one of their daughters. And what's, what ended up happening is they showed favor to this man, Tobiah, some of them, the nobles of Judah, showed favor for this man, Tobiah, over that, over the God-given governor, Nehemiah, the godly, holy, righteous, upright man, Nehemiah. Yeah, he was a sinner, but he was a godly man who sought the Lord with his heart, and they chose Tobiah over him. And we'll skip, we'll, let's get back to, to Nehemiah. Um, in Nehemiah, it says there that in verse 19, it says they were even acting as spies. They were speaking about his, Tobiah's, good deeds in my presence and reporting my words to him. In other words, let's hear what Nehemiah says and we'll take it back and tell Tobiah. They were acting like spies. 
And what's, what's crazy is that giving them the benefit of the doubt, they were terrible judges of character. Oh, well, doesn't Tobiah, isn't there some good things about him, uh, Nehemiah? Don't you see some good in this guy, Tobiah? Well, wasn't it Tobiah and Sanballat, chapter 6, verse 12, who were hiring uh, false prophets to trip up Nehemiah? Wasn't it Tobiah who was still sending letters to Nehemiah to try to frighten him? And this is the guy they want to tell, oh, well, look at the good deeds this guy Tobiah does. I think it wasn't just, you know, them having a poor judgment of character. I think it was actually treason. It was treason and compromise was at the key here. They still were saying good things about this man who was threatening the life of Nehemiah, their governor. Now, what do we do in a situation like this? Well, Nehemiah, instead of giving up, he he just goes about his business. He continues to be faithful. And the thing he does next is that he sets up a, a charge or an order for who is going to stand guard. So that's our next main point, our second main point. The charge to guard. A charge, what is a charge? A charge is to be assigned a duty. Um, it's actually sometimes a solemn um, event when you're giving a charge of office. Um, those in the military have to swear an oath, a charge in their duty. Those who serve in government, they have to swear an oath in, to fulfill their duty as their, in their appointed um, role. I had to accept and take a charge to serve as pastor here of this church. Paul gives young Timothy a charge. It's written there in your outline. 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 2. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. Every minister is given a similar charge. Nehemiah was assigned, uh, Nehemiah was assigned or charged as governor over the, the people there in Judah. But he, in like fashion, as the ruler, he charged two men um, there in verse 2. Look at verse 2 of chapter 7. I put Hanani, my brother, and Hananiah, the commander of the fortress, in charge of Jerusalem. Now, we don't know enough about Hananiah, uh, but I can say we don't know for sure if he was the smartest man there in Jerusalem. We don't know what his skill set was. We know he was capable. But why did Nehemiah charge this man with the greatest defensive office in the land? Look there, the second half of verse 2. Nehemiah gave him this charge because he was a faithful man. And feared God more than many. He was given charge because he was faithful. Now the Hebrew word here could also be translated as trustworthy. A trustworthy person is one who keeps their promises. A person who keeps their vows. If they, if they give you their word, they, they swear to their own hurt. If they say they're going to do something... They do it to the very best of their ability. 
If they say that they're going to be somewhere, they're going to do they're going to do it to the best of their ability to be there and to meet you for that appointment. Hananiah was such a man. And the reason he was such a man was because I believe he had the Holy Spirit. Because faithfulness or trustworthiness is a fruit of the Holy Spirit, according to Galatians 5.22. But he was also, it says, Hananiah was a man who feared God. When it comes to this church one day, and it will happen, one day picking new elders and deacons, it's going to need to be that the church is going to need to pick men who fear God. Men who are faithful and who fear God. Now, it's, it's important to observe what a prospective elder or deacon does in the church, but it's also important to, to observe what he does outside the church. Does he demonstrate the fear of God in his work, in his leisure, in his family life, do you see him in the, what he does? Is he, is he one way at church but another way outside the church? A man is not to be selected for office unless he fears God and is a faithful man. Now, if you're an employer and you have a job and you want to hire people, seek to hire people who fear God. I think it's a fabulous thing to hire Christians who sincerely fear the Lord. If they fear God, they know that God is watching them. So you don't have to watch them every, every minute. If they know that God is watching them, they will get their work done. If they know that God is watching them, they will not take something that doesn't belong to them. If they know that God is watching them, they will not steal time from their employer. Now, standing guard, we notice in today's text also, was not just for those who were in full-time military service. Look at the second half of verse 3 of chapter 7. He said, uh, Appoint guards for the inhabitants of Jerusalem, each at his own post, and each in front of his own house. Um, In a sense, you could say this was more of a notion of a citizen's militia to supplement those who were the full-time guardsmen. Uh, I believe this situation in Nehemiah's day was closer to the colonial militia that we had back in history rather than to the current National Guard. But again... Each person was to stand guard next to his house. Where God plants you, there you are to guard and to protect your home. Now, you might ask a question. What is a text about guarding a wall on a city so long ago in a land so far removed from us have to do with me today? Does guarding a wall in Jerusalem really have a lot of impact on you today? Well, think about it. The charge here to guard their homeland is something that actually has come to pass in uh, Ukraine. People of everyday life, uh, office workers and um, grocery store workers and trashmen and you name it, are now having to take up weapons to defend their homeland. God forbid, but if there's ever a case where we have to defend our homeland, we um, should do the same. That's what a That's what a loyal citizen would do. But here there's a spiritual aspect in which we are to take guard. We are to take guard for something that has much more eternal consequences than even the war in Ukraine. And that's taking guard against the world, the flesh, and the devil. 
you, each one of you, not just elders or deacons, each one of you are to guard yourselves against the world, the flesh, and the devil. The first passage I want us to look at is 1 John 2. Let's look at this passage, 1 John chapter 2, to see how to guard against the flesh. 1 John 2, starting at verse 15. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away and also its lusts, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. Flee the things of the world and cling to the things of Christ. Romans 13, 14, there in your outline, it says we are to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. You must put on the Lord Jesus Christ, otherwise you will have no victory over the flesh. 1 Peter 5, 8, and 9. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Be on, the, on your guard. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. But resist him. And he says you are to be firm in your faith. So you are to be on guard against the world, the flesh, and the devil. Again, this church has needs just as the Jerusalem in Nehemiah's day had needs. Just as the city was large and spacious, but the people were few, you could say um, our property is large and spacious, but sometimes our people are somewhat few. And we need um, to pray to God and endeavor to see that God would increase the the work of this church. Unless we are granted uh, more folks to come in to be a part of this church as God takes away some due to age and brings them to himself in glory the church will not persist unless the church has new members to to act you could say as guards upon the wall Jerusalem's greatest need though was not just more people its greatest need was people that loved God that were faithful and that feared God and if, if Nehemiah didn't have men like that to serve in the army of, of uh, Judah, they would have been without hope. We need God to grant us faithfulness. We need God to grant us a greater fear of him. And yes, there is such thing in the New Testament as still fearing God. I think that's something lost in modern Christianity, that there's a lack of the fear of God. We need to put such men who fear God and who are faithful in charge of the defenses. We need God. We need to pray that God would give us elders and deacons in the future who love and fear Him. And I hope and pray that God allows me to preach in this church until my, I'm in my 80s. But one of these days, I'm not going to be able to preach in this church any longer because of age and debility. 
But when that time comes, maybe some of you young people, real young people, will still be in the church. Remember, you need to see a pastor who loves God, who fears God, who is faithful to serve as your future pastor. Pray for each other. Pray for each other that you would each grow in holiness, in your love for one another, in your fear of God, in your trustworthiness, in your faithfulness. Pray for each other as you fight against the world, the flesh, and the devil. And in that fight, if there's something you could do to help one another, ask. Or maybe you could tell others how to pray for you in your fight. It helps, it helps you greatly if you have someone who can keep you accountable. But first and foremost, you cannot guard yourself against the world, the flesh, and the devil apart from Jesus Christ. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from Jesus, you cannot have victory against the world, the flesh, and the devil. Have you you embraced the Lord Jesus Christ by faith? If you have not, do so. Confess your sins. Repent of your sins. Turn away from your sins. Embrace Jesus Christ. Cling to him. He is the only means by which you will have acceptance before the Father. Ask God to establish you upon the foundation built upon by the prophets and apostles with Jesus Christ as the cornerstone, his holy word, that his church, and seek to be united to his church that you will be victorious over the world, the flesh, and the devil, and that you will be accepted into your eternal home when God calls you. Let's pray together. We ask our beloved Lord that you would work in us mightily by this, your word. Help us, we pray, to apply this word to our hearts and minds, that we would be not merely hearers of the word, but doers of this, your holy word. Work in our lives, we pray, and help us to embrace Christ. Give us victory over the world, the flesh, and the devil. Help us to be faithful and help us, we pray, to fear you and not men, to, to love you above all. For we ask all these things in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. For our closing hymn, let's turn to 540. Soldiers of Christ, arise. Let's stand and sing 540.